The following content is from Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a gospel-driven high-adventure camp in western North Carolina. Go to swoutfitters.com to learn more about our camps and conferences. Enjoy the message. Even like mostly faithful churches, I think, are going to skip over a lot of the teaching on spiritual warfare, and I think that's part of the battle. If we think the devil is inactive, he's got the upper hand, truly, because we got to think about what the scripture says the devil's goals are. John 8 says he's a murderer from the beginning. John 10 says his goals are steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter says he wants to devour souls like a lion. He wants to destroy unity and beauty and love and marriage and you. And we might not think that. We might not believe it because we think we don't see it happen. But just turn on the news, man. The one who has authority over the world is accomplishing his purposes, killing and stealing and destroying marriages and pastors and nations. But how? Like, how is Satan for real at work in 2022? Because when we think about Satan and demons, our mind goes, whoop, right to possession, right to a movie, right to the occult. But when Jesus warns us about Satan, he doesn't say, Watch out that you don't get possessed. What does he say? Watch out for lies. That's it. Watch out for lies. John 8. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That is Satan's primary attack on us. It's on our mind, on our emotion, on our worth. That's what I want to focus on. Think about his original game plan. His original game plan. All right, I got to make these two people, Adam and Eve, I got to make them fall, even though they are literally walking around with God. What was his strategy, his original game plan? He didn't go and possess Eve. He didn't physically attack her. He came to her with an idea. He came to her with a lie. And that's still his game plan. Because you can see in our culture, there are so many lies that people are believing about sexuality, right? So many lies about identity. You know who you are, whoever you want to be. You know who you are, you're what you're good at, or you're what you're bad at, or you're not worth anything. There's so many lies about identity. You know, there's lies about happiness. You know, happiness is king. You got to obey it, or happiness is unattainable, or God doesn't want you to be happy. There's so many lies about sexuality and identity and happiness, And what's the result? What are Satan's goals? Destruction. Sexuality. Sexual destruction. Identity destruction. Happiness destruction. Now, we know as believers, y'all know, y'all come from solid churches, most of you. Satan can't actually destroy you, right? He's already been triumphed over on the cross. The devil can't make you do anything if you're a Christian. He really can't, but he can trick you. He can sell you with lies. Now, let me pause for a second because Satan's not our our only enemy. We are our own worst enemy, right? Y'all know this. You're like, man, I don't even need any help from Satan. I'm good to go. I sin on my own. Like, like our second enemy is our flesh, you know, which is a Bible word, but this verse helps, it, uh, helps us understand. First Peter 2, it says this. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What does that mean? The wants of your body. Abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. That means your wants are at war with you. That's, that's your other enemy, you. <laughs> your wants are trying to kill your soul because let's be real, we're Christians in the room. Part of you wants to be holy and part of you does not. That part's at war with you. 
right? Part of you wants to submit and be faithful to the Lord and faithful to your spouse, but there's something, a little piece of you that's trying to sink the ship on the inside. That's our enemy. Teddy Roosevelt said this, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your troubles, you wouldn't sit down for a month. (laughs) Agreed. Uh, See, Satan can't make you do anything. We have to choose it. And to choose something, we have to want it first. All right, here, we're going to get super nerdy for just a little bit, but, but we can do this, all right? So here's what I want to think about. Here seems to be Satan's primary strategy. He's going to secretly slip in lies, but not just any lies. He's going to slip us lies that play to our wants, that play to our deepest wants, all right? So I think the two enemies then team up together. Satan is telling lies in line with what we want. So our wants, our two enemies team up together. So what I want to do is I want to talk about the two levels of how Satan, how, how his lies play to our wants, all right? Level one, hopefully it's not too nerdy. Level one uh, of how he plays to our wants. I think sometimes, and this is the, the shallower level, sometimes he tells us lies to outright sin. Just like to the part of us that doesn't want to be holy. It's the temptation of what we want now versus what we want most. Y'all heard that phrase before? It's usually like a fitness phrase or whatever. Like you got to think about what you want now, like these Doritos versus what you want most, which is abs or, you know, whatever it is, you know, like, and like, you know, I, th- I, we all have this, you know, uh, so my birthday was a month ago. I turned 44 and my daughter, my middle daughter is uh, 13. And she is wonderful. And so for my birthday, she made me flan, which flan is, is up there for me. Like, I, I don't like cake, cookies, ice cream, really, whatever. But like custardy stuff or like cheap gas station candy, that's my jam. If you're ever wondering, like, who the heck buys this stuff? That's me. Uh, so, uh, so Knox and my daughter, she made me four flans actually I don't know why she made so much flan but like yeah so she made four bowls of flan and you know you turn it over and it's like a little whatever anyway so she's like daddy happy birthday I made you some flan so I opened up the fridge and there are four bowls of it and I was like (gasps) and so of course immediately one of them bam gone and so I I was like okay good night we did our night routine and I sit on the couch and me and Amy are just talking and all of a sudden it was like audible where the flan was like stay and I was like shoot there are three more things flying in there and you know inside I'm going you know I really want to be a responsible adult and I've already eaten a whole bowl of flan this would be I want to be healthy and something inside me was going you gotta eat that and so of course I went to the fridge and ate all three bowls of flan just bam 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 you know why because what I wanted now trumped what I wanted most and I'm okay with that. I was very, I had a stomach ache, but I was happy, you know, and like, but I think uh, you think about what we want now is so much stronger in the moment than what we want most. All, I mean, all the time. And you know the type of lies. We're talking about sin, not flan. We're talking about sin. You know, it's like these lies where it's like, okay, one time won't hurt. Or it's like, nobody will know. Or, hey, that's what God's grace is for, right? The lies are urgent to justify the wants. What we want most, if you're a Christian, is holiness and closeness with with God. But these lies can urgently play to what we want now instead. I want to be holy. I want to be like Jesus. But that little part inside of me that wants to sink the ship says, you know what? I want to look at this. I want to talk to her. I want to whatever it is. Level one of the lies. 
what we want now versus what we want most. Level two, I think this is where we get trapped. This is where I've had so many like counseling conversations this year. We see so many people come through camp, 12,000 people come through camp in a year. And so we have conversations over and over and over and over and over about marriage. And uh, some of them, you know, like these marriages are shipwrecking and you're going, what are you doing? Man, what are you doing? And, and you're like, you know, according to this and this and this and this, you know this is wrong. And, and a lot of times it's like, yeah, I know, but, and you're like, God, what are you? The second level of lies is it the trickier level? The first one is what we want now versus what we want most. The second level of lies, I think, is sometimes uh, they're lies about how to get what we want most. All right, what do we want most? We want closeness with God. We want purity. We want holiness. Yes, those are our deep, true, pure wants, and there's other deep wants too. We deeply want happiness. We want security. We want identity, right? And those are things that are only found in Christ, but I think the level two of Satan's lies are telling us how to get those things, how to get happiness and how to get identity and how to get security. You see what I'm saying? I think it's like, yeah, we want happiness. That's good. That's pure. That's right. But the lie Satan tells us is how to get there. You know what? This job's going to really make you happy. Leaving your wife, that's really going to make you happy. He's fine if you want something pure, if he can change how to get there. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Tells lies about identity. We want, we want identity. That's good. That's the source of that's Christ. The lie is, oh, social accept, acceptance is going to get me there. Being part of this group is going to get me there. See, if Satan told us a lie about the population of Atlanta, so what? No one cares about that. He tells us lies that are in line with what we want already. See, that's the main lie in the garden. I, I want to look at a couple of scriptural examples about how he games this because I think we can learn about how he games it today. In the garden, y'all remember the story, Adam and Eve created, they're good, everything's good, the garden's good, they're together, you know, it's like animals, birds, creation, they're naked, the garden, everything's like, oh, it's perfect. And then everything just falls. I want to read the story, Genesis 3. I'll just read the little snippet of what Satan told Eve. All right, think about the level, two levels of lies. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the lie? There are a couple, right? You will not surely die. That's a, just a straight up lie. You will die. Uh, now look at the lies. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I want to look at the two levels. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes. That's the level one lie. Uh, it's that what I want right now. That looks so good. I want that right now. It looks good. And it's a delight to the eyes. And then when the woman saw that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, that's the deeper want. I want to be happy. I want to be wise. I want to call the shots in my own life. I am. I want to be in charge. You see how Satan's playing both levels? He's tempting her with what she wants right now and what she wants most. I want to be happy, and the lie is this is how you get there. This is how you're, you're going to be happy. This is going to make you happy when you call your own shots. That's the lie, and Satan hadn't changed the playbook much. It's still like that. 
He tempts us with what we want now, and he tempts us with how to get what we want most. That's the lie David believed on the rooftop. You remember that story, David and Bathsheba? David's got multiple wives, and he's got tons of concubines. He probably got out of bed with one of them just now, walks out on the roof, and the lie is that one's going to make you happy. That's going to get you what you deeply want, which is happiness. Abraham believed a lie. God must have forgotten his promise to me about giving me sons. I need to take things into my own hands and sleep with my wife's servant. This is going to accomplish my goals. You see what I'm saying? It's not just a temptation to sin like, hey, try this out. It's also like this is going to get you what you deeply want. This is going to get you identity and happiness and security. When Satan tempted Jesus, all right, that is the Super Bowl of temptation, right? You, you got to think, all right, if Satan can get a pastor to sin, it's like, yeah. But if Satan can get Jesus to sin, game over. He wins, right? So you got to imagine Satan's going back into his playbook and being like, oh, we're going to dial up a good one here. You know what he did? Same thing. Lies about what he wanted now. Turn this food, uh, turn the stone into, into bread. And what he wanted uh, most what his desires here's how you get worship worship me you see what i'm saying he hasn't changed up his playbook abraham david eve jesus now we know jesus didn't sin here's what's crazy y'all jesus was alone out there other than satan nobody was with him why did he put his temptation in the scripture like he told luke write this down because he wanted it to be a template for us you know what i'm saying it happened, just him and Satan, but he wanted us to know it. So he told Luke, hey, write this down. And he, we see his template is he used scripture every single time. Scripture, scripture, scripture. He walked in the spirit and he trusted God to bring food and worship and protection. He wasn't settling for Satan's lie-filled promises. So whether it's a lie to give in to sin or a lie to try to get on our own what only God can provide or both, Satan is gonna wage war and try to devour you through lies spiritual warfare this is spiritual warfare and you got to think he's only gotten better at it in 8,000 years you know what I'm saying he's only gotten more nuanced you know what I mean like maybe the game now is let's distract him with possession so we can feed him some lies what does this have to do with marriage that's the real question so I want you to think about this Satan could have tempted Adam before Eve came on the scene it might have been easier right? Why didn't he? I think about this. I mean, Satan hates marriage. He hates it because he hates Christ. He hates the gospel. He hates love. And in addition, he knows that great intimacy brings the possibility of great pain. Those that are closest to us can devastate us the most. You got to imagine Satan's thinking, all right, if you can bring down one man, great. But if you can use one man to bring down a marriage, oh, that's even better. And if you can use one man to bring down an entire family, an entire church, an entire community. Now that's awesome. Marriage is under such an intense attack, Satan must be threatened by it. You know what I mean? There must be something so powerful in this picture of Christ in the church because there's something unique about the way your marriage preaches the gospel to our culture. Your Marriage is a billboard. It is an advertisement to our culture. This is what Christ and the church is like. This is what the gospel's like. There's something so unique and powerful about that that Satan is going to be attacking it. And how is he going to attack your marriage? Primarily with lies. And we know our culture has believed a lot. 
a lot of lies about marriage, right? And we know, sadly, a lot of those lies have crept into uh, some churches, some pockets of the church at least. But what I want to warn against is the scary part, that there's probably some lies that have slipped into our marriages. Really, there's probably some things that influence the way we think about our wives, the way we think about your husband. So I want to talk about, real quick, I want to talk about eight lies that can slip into our marriages. This isn't comprehensive. These are just like examples. Now, I want to give a couple of caveats as we're going into these lies. When I'm talking about lies in in these marriages, I'm not talking about the extreme, more extreme situations. I'm not talking about abusive marriages or marriages with just blatant, ongoing, harmful sin. Like, that's that's a different animal. If that's you... Man, you need to open up with someone you trust and, and get some help, and we would love to be a part of that. Uh, second caveat, when we're, ta- when we're talking about lies, I don't want you to hear me say, hey, all your problems are spiritual problems. <clears throat> Not true. It's easy to blame everything on spiritual stuff when you're just a really bad communicator. You know what I mean? Like, your problems may just be one person is sinning, straight up sinning. It doesn't have a lot to do with, you know, like spiritual lies. Some things are just one person's fault, right? What I want to talk about are the lies that come in the cracks, the lies that create wedges in between you and your spouse. So what I want you to do is I want you to ask yourself, have I believed these even in some subtle ways? So I want to put up eight different lies. Lie number one, marriage is supposed to be easy. All right, pause. Yes, everybody's going to boo that one, right? If I put that one up, no one's going to be like, wait, what? You know, everybody, <laughs> if you are, come back next weekend. Uh, Everybody's going to boo this one, right? Marriage is supposed to be easy. Boops. You know, like, of course, everybody's going to boo this in the light of day. But that's how good these lies are because you know they're wrong in the light of the day, but you still feel them at night in your bed. That's how good these lies are. You can say, no, marriage is not supposed to be easy, but when you lay down at night, you're like, man, it should be, shouldn't be this hard. You know what I mean? That's how good these lies are. Why? Because they're packaged different. Eve had a snake come up in the garden. You're not going to have the prince of darkness come to your room and be like, let me tell you some lies about the ease of marriage. He's going to slide that in. How's he going to do it? It's going to be a lot more subtle. He's going to package it in one million tiny nudges. All those commercials you see, all those social media accounts, all those books you read, Hundreds of movies, thousands of shows, hundreds of thousands of commercial. It's tiny nudges where you see couples smiling at each other. We see these images of marriages that just look so easy. We read stories from when we're a kid about happily ever after. It's millions of just tiny, tiny, tiny little nudges that make us build an expectation that marriage is supposed to be easy. These lies speak the language of feelings, not reason. It's nuanced, it's subtle, it's complex. We deny these in the light of day, but we feel them in the dark. See if any of these have slipped in. Number one, marriage is supposed to be easy. Or if if it's this much hard work, we can't be right for each other. Let me just combat that with this. What if you carry childhood trauma that's undealt with? What if you have poor communication skills? Y'all know single problems become married problems right they don't just go away in fact they multiply when you get to marriage is not easy here's the question who said that it was not the bible not your parents marriage 
not your grandparents' marriages, not your friends' marriages. Like, if another family looks easy, it's just because they haven't showed you the hard part. Easy marriage is a literal fiction. It's just like flying dragons and Ewoks. I mean, it is only, only in fictional books and movies is marriage easy. It is a literal fiction. It wasn't meant to be easy. It was meant to fulfill a purpose, which is illustrating Christ's love. Christ loving the church isn't easy. So a sinful person loving another sinful person won't be easy. It's not easy, but it's good. It's Christ and oneness through happiness and pain. Uh, And some scripture to combat this. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It is not easy, but there's hope. If you're submitting to Christ and serving one another, it does get easier. Number two, lie number two. The grass is greener elsewhere. Yeah, it seems like that sometimes. You know, usually the way this one's packaged is, I'm just not happy anymore. I'm, I'm just not happy here. Man, happiness is king for humans. We've been told happily ever after since birth. Now, we're not even going to talk about how affairs play out long term on the happiness scale, but it's really bad, you know. Happiness is too big a thing to put on another human. It really is. Your spouse can be an aid to happiness, but not the source of happiness. If we believe that our happiness is supposed to come from another human, we have believed a lie about how to get what we want most. The want is good. Well, I want to be happy and joyful. The lie is she's going to give it to you. She, he is going to make you happy. Romans 15, listen to this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Here's my wife uh, Amy's advice. She, she said this the other day. She said, if you want a happy marriage, think about what a happy marriage would look like. People being kind to one another, do that. People serving one another, start doing that. Borrow characteristics from a happy marriage. I like that. But the substance of happiness is from the Lord. All right, uh, lie number three. Having a baby is going to fix all our problems and bring us together. All right, that one's just a joke. (laughs) Everybody knows that is not, right? Uh, So uh, there's a comedian whose name is uh, Jim Gaffigan, and he has four kids, and uh, he he does a bit where he's like, you know, somebody asked me what it's like having four kids, and he said, imagine that you're drowning and somebody throws you a baby. (laughs) And I think... uh, Somebody in the room needs to hear this and needs to hear everyone laugh. And no, that it's number four. Uh, marriage is going to meet all of my needs. Again, something we would deny in the light, but we'd feel in the dark. A lot of marriage problems find the root in unmet expectations. We've talked about this all weekend, unmet expectations. But think about it. I mean, try to put yourself back there. You know, back to your, to your wedding day. You've been looking forward to getting married for five years, ten years, your whole life. And maybe you've been thinking, building up things like, this is going to make my life complete. You complete me. <laughs> this is going to make me happy. This is what I want. Me, my, I, me, my, I, I want this. This is going to make me happy. Man, we don't go into marriage with an attitude of serving. So unless we have a radical shift in our thinking, all of a sudden marriage feels like a big ripoff. This is not what I ordered. I'd like to return it. I thought this would be different. Instead of expectations, think about it this way. Caring for your marriage 
is caring for yourself. How do you care for your marriage? You nourish and cherish it. You serve it. Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. Nobody ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What I'm saying is, man, are you truly working for your spouse's growth and your spouse's fulfillment and their satisfaction and happiness as much as your own? Like, are, is your level of commitment and your attention to detail that you apply so diligently at work applied with the same vigor in your marriage? Are you working to love your spouse in an understanding way? Are you working to, understand, to love your spouse in an understanding way, or are you submitting their needs and feelings to your own? In a spiritual aspect, your spouse is you. You thrive when they thrive. That's not naturally how we come into marriage, though. Lie number five, we are just too different. <laughs> yeah, everybody experiences this, right? One person says, hey, we absolutely need to make the bed. And the other person says, we're just going to get back in it. What? Why would we make it up? We're just creating double work for ourselves. You know, one person always leaves the car full. The other one always leaves the car empty, right? One person packs a week before vacation. The other one's doing laundry the morning of. One person sets one alarm in the morning. One person sets 17 alarms at one-minute intervals. And some of y'all are going, that is you. All of those were you, right? One person sets the toilet paper rolling out. One person sets the toilet paper rolling in. I heard a great quote. Never laugh at your spouse's choices. You were one of them. <laughs> I like it. Differences aren't a problem. My wife and I are very, very, very different, and it's great. Differences aren't a problem, but how you manage them, maybe. You got to watch out. Whether you're too different or too similar, you, to be honest, if you don't learn to deal with these annoyances, they'll grow into sinfulness. Or at least you'll perceive them as sinfulness. You might not see value in the thing like making your bed, but you see value in the person. Learn to laugh at the differences because you don't want to be married to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Think about it. We were made different on purpose to serve one another, prefer one another, bear with one another, and enjoy the differences. Number six, we got to hustle. If we, could make the, if we could make this money, or if we could have these things, then our marriage would be good. Now, we all know that one's not true, but I'll be danged if we're in it. If we're in a financial crunch, it sure does feel like that sometimes. Because y'all know if finances are thin, it creates a stress on your marriage. And if you're not careful, it can spur on the blame game. You know, if he made more money, you know, if she would just finish her degree. I want to submit to you a beautiful quote. Mo money, same problems. First uh, Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we, listen to this, if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Here's what I really want you to listen to. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Be on guard against that. Lie number seven, we aren't compatible anymore. 
Now, some of these are more extreme. You know, some people phrase this like, I think I'm falling out of love with him. Marriage, like a lot of things, is an aggregate of choices. You know what I'm saying? There are a lot of things that are going to change in the lifespan of your marriage. Your seasons of your marriage are going to change wildly. You think about your body's going to change. Your preference is going to change. Your sexual appetite is going to change. Raising kids and then kids out of the house, you got to adapt. The only illustration I could think about this, and it's a bad illustration, I apologize in advance, is Michael Jordan. It's a bad illustration. Uh, when Best player ever in history, not disputed at all. Thank you. Uh, but, you know, when he was a young man, he was attacking the rim. Bam, all the time, attacking the rim. And he was getting beat up all the time. He was putting his body through the ringer. And so they even came up with a, a list of the Jordan rules, which was basically, we're going to foul the heck out of this guy and put him out of commission. And so Jordan played so many seasons that after a while he had to adapt. He couldn't attack the rim anymore. He wasn't that young anymore. He had to develop what became a beautiful fadeaway. It's like a bump and a fadeaway that he wouldn't take so much damage. A beautiful post-up game where he's posting up guys in the post. But, you know, he had to adapt. As your marriage seasons change, you got to evolve in your compatibility by adapting some things. Some things got to adapt and some things got to remain constant through the years of change. You got to always constantly treat your spouse better than you treat your friends, better than you treat strangers. You have to constantly laugh together. Don't save the good stuff for social media. Don't save the good stuff for your friends. You got to stay friends. That's why we're told in Colossians 3, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. Your spouse's weaknesses are not hindrances. They're doorways to spiritual growth, really. If I'll respond to my spouse's shortcoming with forgiveness and patience, my love won't be based on compatibility. Romans 5, to talk about falling out of love. Romans 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Yes, your love is gonna fail. It really is because it's based on feelings. God's love will not and his love is poured into our hearts. Last one, lie number eight, our marriage is beyond repair. I wanna tread lightly on this one because I know, I personally know many of you have walked through some really, really difficult seasons of marriage. I know some of you guys are still healing. Some of y'all are still in pain about that. And there's a lot of nuance and a lot of broken situations. It's impossible to speak broadly about it. But let me just offer this. God is a God of miracles. That's true. He can bring back to life what's dead. Even marriages. Genesis 18, the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He can open barren wombs. He can raise the dead. He can redeem the impossible soul. The lie is, once trust is broken, it can never be restored. Don't automatically believe that. Jesus looked at them, Matthew 19, and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. The result of these lies, or at least the goal of these lies, is destruction. All of these lies. There's a billion others. You apply them to your situation. You know some of these don't apply to you at all. But here's the thing. These lies destroy marriages primarily by making you believe that your spouse is defective or that your spouse is the enemy. It's not you versus your spouse. It is you and your spouse versus blank. 
It's you and your spouse versus bad communication. It's you and your spouse versus unmet expectations. It's you and your spouse versus selfishness, versus sin, versus the changing seasons of marriage. It's you and your spouse against the lies of Satan. Marriage is a team sport. You both win or you both lose. They are not the enemy, but you do have an enemy. Finally, three tips to combating lies. Number one, you got to combat the lies with truth. You're a believer before you're a husband. You're a believer before you're a wife. You have to combat the lies with truth. That's how Jesus combated Satan's lies. I heard one pastor say, spiritual disciplines are spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about memorizing some verses you can whip out in times of, of, uh, of trouble. What I'm talking about is you need to have your mind so saturated in Scripture to where you start to think and want like Jesus thinks and wants so that you can value what he values so that the knee-jerk reaction starts to become happiness. Oh, that comes from Jesus. Identity. Oh, that comes from God. To be closely in step with the Spirit so the lies appear cheap and silly. Step number two, th- our second tip to combating the lies. First one is, you got to combat the lies with truth. The second one is, you got to turn off the faucet of Satan's lies. The grass is greener. Marriage shouldn't be this hard. Those thoughts pop into your head on your own. Don't willingly invite them by opening yourself up to an unexamined flow of worldly thought. If you're constantly under the flow of social media, watching worldly shows, constantly around worldly folks, if you're not watchful, you'll eventually have your brain wired to think happiness equals success. Third one. Third tip to combating the lies, stand together. You're not alone. God's given you a wife. God's given you a husband. Listen to this verse, Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's crazy. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you, listen, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let that be a picture of our marriage standing with one mind one spirit side by side for the faith of the gospel here's the hope god's gonna crush satan that's just it he's already beat him he's gonna crush him we just need to stand we stand together side by side with our spouse in the meantime help each other fight love each other through weakness remind each other about where happiness and identity and security come from and then laugh and enjoy one another romans 16 20 The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you in your walk with Christ. Be sure to give us a rating and review. And for more Snowbird content, check out our other podcast, No Sanity Required.